Well, like Anita said, my name is Todd. I've been at New Philly for about three years now. Um, I'm an active leader over at Hillside, and I've been in Korea for five years now, actually, which is pretty remarkable when I think about it. Uh, I got on a plane in 2008, August 2008, and uh, thought I was going to be in Korea for six months, and five years later, I'm still here somehow. <laughs> I'm one of those weird people that when you first get to Korea and, and you find out they've been there for five years, like, what happened to you? What kind of time warp or black hole did you get sucked into? Uh, we're going to do something a little different tonight. It's the year of inspiration, so I thought we'd have maybe a little interactive sermon tonight. Is that cool? So uh, with the help of our friends in the back in the sound booth, I'm going to give you an, a brief assignment. Now, I'm a teacher, so it's very important that you follow instructions carefully. It's also very important that you listen, because I don't like to repeat myself. So if you're taking notes, which I hope everybody brought something to take notes with, please take out your taking notes utensil. It can be electronic. So if you find yourself a little flat-footed right now, take out your smartphone. I, got, I know you got one of those, and I know that, that it goes with you wherever you go. So take out your smartphone and utilize it tonight. At the top of your page, or smartphone, the top of your page, I want you to uh, section off just, just a little strip here at the top of your page. Just a couple lines or so. And then at the bottom of the page, I want you to do that as well. Just draw two lines horizontally across your paper. And you can start the music now. I'm just going to play some background music so it's not awkwardly silent while you'll do this. What I want you to do at the top of the paper is I want you to write down what is your greatest breakthrough in Jesus Christ. What is your greatest breakthrough in Jesus Christ? This can be many things. I will tell you, for me, it was how the Lord supernaturally delivered me from a life of um, hidden sexual promiscuity and sin. And a great deal of other things, but that was probably at the top of the list. So just take a moment and think about that. And at the bottom of the page, I want you to write down the most extravagant, grand promise you feel like the Lord has given you for your life personally. If you don't know, that's okay. But do your best to write something down in both, both areas.
Which can be something like a particular profession, a specific ministry idea. It could be something as simple but important as just being a mom. Or it could be to go to, to move to Cambodia and help the people struck in, stuck in human trafficking. Breakthrough can be something as simple as God providing you with a job when you needed one, or bringing that certain friend into your life at the, at the right time so that you heard the gospel and got saved. If you have absolutely nothing written down for the top section, I encourage you to write down Isaiah 52b. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2b. If you have absolutely nothing, you can look at that up later. For the bottom, if you have, if you're drawing a blank, I encourage you to write down 1 Corinthians 2:9. First Corinthians two nine. Open your Bibles with me now to Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy tonight. Deuteronomy 8, chapter, yeah, chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. We're going to be looking at, we'll, we'll come back to what you wrote down earlier, don't worry. But uh, we're going to be looking at tonight... Um, what I think are two important lessons the Israelites had to learn in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 through 6. Follow along as I read. I'm going to be reading from the ESV tonight. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. 
so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Let me bless the reading of the Lord's word. Yes, Heavenly Father, as Anita said earlier, we thank you that your presence is here. We thank you that you've deposited your Holy Spirit inside of us. And it's that Holy Spirit that I now, I now ask to bring a spirit of wisdom and revelation to this text. Yeah, I pray that, your Holy, that, that you, Holy Spirit, would just come and fill this space. And that more than anything, that we would encounter you. And that you would, you would testify of the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ. And that through this text, though it may be in the Old Testament, that we would encounter your, yeah, the Lord's Son, Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life, and that we would leave this place different people, changed, radically transformed, transformed into his image tonight. Yeah, I pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so in this text we see that, um, just to give you a little bit of background, as many of you know, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And at the end of 400 years, God rose up this man, his name was Moses, and he came and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, ah, maybe, no, not really. And after 10 plagues and along uh, a lot of fighting, eventually Pharaoh let him go. And all the Israelites were excited. They were happy. They were on their way um, out of Egypt. Whenever Pharaoh changed his mind one more time, sent the army after him, except the army pinned the Israelites between Egypt and the Red Sea. So what does God do? Of course, he comes through, he opens the Red Sea, the Israelites go through, and as soon as the Israelites go through, the Egyptian army comes in, chases, them, chases after them, God closes the Red Sea, and all the Egyptians die. That's where we're kind of picking up the story. So now, they're out of Egypt, and they just saw God do ten different plagues and kill the entire Egyptian army just for them. Pretty remarkable, right? These were the same people, remind you, that had oppressed them for 400 years. For 400 years, these were their masters. And after 400 years, they're finally free. They, can't, they don't even know what freedom is, really. Right? Freedom is a foreign concept to them. Because they were slaves, their parents were slaves, their grandfathers were slaves, their great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, they were slaves for as long as they could remember. They were completely... They were in this completely new situation. And, um, and the interesting thing is that if you look at, on, on a map, the, the distance between Egypt and the promised land, what is today modern-day Israel, right? It's not that far. It's only about 500 kilometers, in fact. The distance between Seoul and Busan is about 400 and change kilometers, I think. So it's not that much farther than between Busan and Seoul. Think about walking. Now, they, they didn't have cars or trains or whatnot. You can get to Busan in three hours on the KTX. They didn't have KTX between uh, Egypt and, and Israel. But think about walking. How long would it take you to walk to Busan? I don't know. Probably, you know, a few days, five, six days, depending on how fast you walk. Here, we find that the Israelites, though, have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a little bit long, Right? That's a little bit longer than it should have taken, right? But we're going to look at why it took them so long. Why did it take them so long? Here's another question. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Israelites were so dumb they didn't know where the promised land was? 
chances are they knew where it was. I mean, even if they didn't know where it was, like, they could wander randomly and probably run into it. It's only 500 kilometers away. It's... <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, like, they probably could figure out... Actually, they, they run into several people along the way, several different groups of people, um, some of whom actually t- turn out... And actually, we know that they, at one time, they try to get into the promised land, right? Do you remember that? They try to get into the promised land. They send in the 12 spies. Only two come back with favorable reports. The rest of them are like, oh, it's too scary. We can't do it. So they've been to the promised land once before, but God still makes them spend 40 years in the wilderness. That's crazy. That's crazy. I hate wasting time. I don't know about you, but I hate wasting time. 40 years is a long time to waste in the wilderness. Especially when the promised land was a land flowing with milk and honey, and then they got manna and, and you know, desert weed or something to, to chew on for 40 years. So we're going to be looking at why, did, why was it so important? And obviously it was important for the Israelites to be in the desert. It was important for them to be in the wilderness. There was a reason why God put them in there. Remember also that during this time, they were being led by a, a pillar of cloud by day and, and fire by night. So the, the, the presence of the holy and living God was, was leading them during all this time, right? For 40 years. Um, obviously, God was doing something. And if we can all agree that God is good, amen? If God is good all the time that he must have been doing something really good for the Israelites for 40 years. So first, let's look at, go back to Deuteronomy um, 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. The first thing we're going to talk about tonight is humbling, the humbling process. And I think there's a lot of things that can go into this. But one thing I want to highlight to you tonight is the fact that God owes us nothing. The first part of humbling that the Israelites had to figure out was that God owed them nothing. If you look at Exodus 33, verse 19, this is whenever Moses goes up to the mountain and he, and he asks God's um, presence to go before him, God's goodness. He's like, God, show me your glory. And this is what God says about himself. He says in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will pro- proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will sh- show mercy. Now, this is a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing that God owes us nothing. It, and it's important because it's, it has to do with the transformation of our mind. Remember that Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years, and they, all they had known was slavery. And in, and in slavery, you work in a, what's basically a twisted meritocracy. You work in this twisted quid pro quo system, in which if you do this for me, then I'm, I'll be maybe a little bit better to you. Example is um, North Korea, actually as we were talking about earlier. I just recently read the book um, Escape from Camp 14, and it's a book about this North Korean um, man. He was born in one of the prison camps in North Korea. He was born there, and he eventually um, escapes that that prison camp, goes into China, and then is is brought to South Korea, and now he's a free man. 
But in that book, he talks about how he was born basically in animal situation, with animal instincts and with an animal mentality. It was all about fighting for survival because this, this, uh, this gulag, this prison camp was so severe and it was so demented and it was so frightening. It was, it was such a dark place that uh, all he knew was that he had to follow the rules that they gave him or else he might himself die. All he knew was that if he, if he, he, fo- if he followed the rules, then you know, he was, that was the best idea of safety that he had, was just following the rules. Now, the rules included ratting out his own mother and his own brother because they tried to, to leave the prison camp. So he, he told the prison guards, his, his mom and his brother's plan to try to escape, just because he, he lived in such fear and isolation, and, it was, and he thought, oh, I might get an extra piece of bread by doing this. That, that was his mentality because he grew up in a North Korean prison camp. Now, that's an extreme situation. The Israelites probably weren't that extreme, but I use that as, an, as a demonstration. That's what the Israelites were thinking about. They were thinking like, oh, I've just got to do what they told me to do. As long as I do what they told me to do, as long as I make these bricks, as long as I build these buildings, as long as I build these cities for Pharaoh, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get my food. You know, yeah, it sucks being a slave, but at least, at least I'm going to be okay. I may not get beat today or something like that. God had to break them of that identity because that's not the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is no meritocracy. Everything that you do in the kingdom of God is done out of gratitude. A servant heart in the kingdom of God is not something that comes from fear. Oh, God might smite me if I don't do this. No, that's not the the father's heart for you, by the way. That's not the father's heart for you. The father is not up there looking at you with this clipboard, assessing your every move, being like, hmm, today this person was, you know, maybe a B plus or A minus. And so I'll give them a little bit of extra spending money in in their next paycheck. No, that's not, that's not how, he, how he works. God is a good God. He's the father of lights, and every good and perfect gift comes from him, right? In the kingdom, things move and operate according to giving. But because everything is a gift, that means you can't deserve it. And it means God has no reason or entitlement to give it to you. That's a good thing. Because when we realize that God owes us nothing, that's when we realize just how much he wants to give us stuff. Until we realize that he doesn't owe me a thing because of what I've done for him or because of who I am. That's when we finally realize just how much he wants to give. Just how gracious he is in our giving. But it also means that he, there is no reward for doing right out of obligation. And it means that God doesn't have to justify what he does. Remember, God's leading the Israelites through through the wilderness. He doesn't have to tell the Israelites where he's going, where he's leading them, or why he's leading them that way. He's God. To put it bluntly, the Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what I think a true key to humility is. This becomes especially true um, whenever the Israelites arrive at the, the promised land for the first time. Um, you know, God's promises, God had promised the Israelites that they, he was going to take them to the, to the promised land, right? He, was, he, was, he had promised that, um, I mean, back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, that the Israelites would inherit the promised land. So you would think, like, well, God, you know, you've got to keep your promises. God is, not, God is not man that he should lie, right? 
God, you've got to keep your promise. You've got to take these people to the promised land eventually. But he fulfills it in his time and in his own way. And uh, you look at no- Numbers 14, verses 13 through 17. Um, this is after the, the spies had come back and all but two of them had negative reports. Moses is crying out to the Lord and he says, God, you can't keep us out of the, the, will, the promised land. Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of your people. For you, O Lord, are, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by now, night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then this nation you have heard them fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised. Basically what Moses is saying, he's saying, hey God, you promised to take us in here. Come on, I know the people are being kind of bad. Yeah, I know they're not being very faithful. Yeah, I know that they kind of messed up and they're not showing you the faithfulness that you deserve. I know that they, they went into the promised land and all but two of them came back with negative reports. But come, you, come on, you promised us that this was going to happen. And I'll, I'll be honest, hasn't that been sometimes some, something in your prayer, prayer closet? I mean, I've come, I've come to the Lord so many times. I'm, I'm an English teacher in Korea, right? And uh, I never thought I would ever be a teacher of any kind, let alone an ESL teacher in a foreign country for five years. And uh, so many times I've come to God and I've been like, God, you've promised me so many other things. You've promised me so many other things. Why am I doing this still? Why am I doing this still? Come on, you've promised. You've promised. You've got to do it. I, you know, I stand in, in, your, in your promises, Lord. And you know what? You know how God actually um, answers Moses? This is what he says. And then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. In other words, I'm not going to kill you. Be lucky with that. But truly, as I live, and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, they shall not see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. Verse 33 goes on to say, And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithfulness. Until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. That's a pretty strong word. But it's an important thing that the Israelites had to learn. They had to learn that God's kingdom isn't a free-for-all. They had to learn that God owed them nothing. That God wasn't some pushover. God wasn't some marion on, on, on strings that they could control or manipulate. That he was the holy and living God. And that it was his presence that was leading them. It was, his, it was his plans and his purposes that would be fulfilled, not their own. The second part, going back to Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, is testing. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. And I think uh, tonight I'm going to talk about three tests in particular that I think... Um, we experienced in the wilderness. Now, I know I'm talking a lot about the Israelites. It's not just a history lesson. Um, things that happen in the Old Testament, they're, they're a type and, 
and shadow of what goes on in the spirit in our lives. So when I talk about the Israelites, I want you to think about what's going on in your life. How are you, where are you in your spiritual walk with the Lord? Are you in Egypt? Are you in the wilderness? Have you made it to the promised land? That's what I want you to think about. I, I, I share these truths with you in, in hopes that they resonate with something the Lord is doing in your life. So it says that the Lord is testing you to know what was in your heart. Verse 3 goes on to say, And he humbled you and he lets you hunger. He let you hunger. What? God wants you to hunger? I thought God was the God of provision. I thought God was the God that, you know, did miraculous signs and led me out of Egypt with, with ten different plagues and killed all my enemies right in front of me. Now he wants me to hunger? God wants us to hunger because he needs to test us in the area of provision. The first test that you will probably experience in the wilderness is the test of provision. The test of provision. If you keep reading, it says that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, after the Israelites made it across the Red Sea, um, they, uh, they had this great celebration, of course. You know, they're, they're really happy. They, they, they sing these songs and they, and they dance. And then they spend three days in the wilderness. This is Exodus 15, 22 through 25. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days, just three days, in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So, they just got delivered. Hallelujah. We're singing songs. We're dancing. All is well. They spend three days. This is three days later, and what are they doing? They're already grumbling against the Lord. They are already upset because there was no water to drink. Now, question, does God know that they need water? God knows that they need water. Because Does God want to give them water? God wants to give them water. Who is leading the Israelites right now? God's holy presence. They've got a cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. That's a pretty awesome directional sign if you, call, if you ask me. I wish I had one of those on certain days, you know? God, I don't know what to do. Could the cloud please show up? Right? So they've got supernatural direction right now. And three days are going by, and they're already grumbling, saying, what are we to drink? Now, is that not the human heart sometimes? Come on. Can, not, can God not do a miracle for us one day, and then three days later, we're like, God, where are you? God can answer our prayer one day. We have this huge breakthrough, and then three days later, we're asking, like, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. <laughs> right? Right? Now, why is that? Their minds were still back in Egypt. Their minds were still back in Egypt. They didn't understand. They, they, they had not renewed their minds. See, this is the thing that, that I'm trying to get at tonight. Is you can escape Egypt. You can get out of Egypt. But unless Egypt gets out of you, you're not going to get into the promised land. So, 
God wants to give them water. And so, sure enough, what does God do? He brings them. He leads them to a place with water. But then when they get the water, what's wrong with the water? It's bitter. Oh, my goodness. You've just gone without water for three days. You finally get some water. And now you're so, you know, you're such a pansy. You can't even drink it because it's bitter. It doesn't taste good. You know, like, and so it's like, what do these people need? And eventually what goes on, if you keep reading a couple of chapters later, Exodus 17, this is Exodus 17, uh, verses 1 through 7. All, this is, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Therefore the people quarreled, uh, but there was no water for them to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock for thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord and said, What shall I do with these people? See, so they got to the point where they, they couldn't trust God for provision enough that they even wondered about going back to Egypt. They still thought about, Oh, Egypt was so grand. At least we had water to drink in Egypt. Never mind the, you know, the whip on my back <laughs> and the, the bricks I had to make and the cities that I made for Pharaoh. Never mind all that. I had water. <laughs> but God, of course, always provides. He provided in both instances. Not only does he provide water for the Israelites and he eventually makes even the bitter, bitter water sweet. Um, which I think there's a whole sermon in that, right? God can take what's bitter and turn it into sweet. But he also provides them with food every single day. They give, he gives them manna. And then in Exodus 16, he gives them manna. And his manna is so supernatural. All they have to do is go out and collect it for one day. Now, I don't know, I mean, where you guys and your finances are, but I, if I got free food every day for 40 years, man, that would be pretty awesome. Now, granted, it was the same food every day. <laughs> and eventually, the Israelites grumbled about the manna, too, and, and, and God gave them quail, so much quail that they got sick. But <laughs> be careful what you ask for, right? But um, God always provides for his children, but he's trying to do something, right? He's trying to renew their mind. He's trying to find out that provision always comes from him. Again, and are they earning the manna? Did they do something for God so that he was like, oh, today you did very well. Very good, children of Israel. Here's your manna for today. No. The manna was always there. It was always ready for them. The water was always there when they needed it. God loves to provide for his children. He loves to provide for his children. He will always provide for us. But it may not be the way we expect it, and it may not be the way that we want it. The second test that you'll find in the, in the wilderness is a test of devotion. Look at verse 2. Uh-oh. Verse 2 says, Testing that you would know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It was actually in the wilderness that the Israelites received the law, the Mosaic law. Now, it's interesting to me, why did the Israelites receive the Mosaic law in the wilderness? God had been God of Israel for 400 years already. He was the God of Abraham, remember? He was the God of Jacob. 
He was the God of Isaac. Why didn't he give Abraham the law? I'm going to establish in you a new people, a, a holy and devoted nation. Here's the law that I want you and your people to live by. It's different th- from everybody else's. He didn't do that with Abraham. He didn't do that with Jacob. He didn't do it with Isaac. He gave the law to the Israelites in the wilderness. Why? Because they needed the law for themselves. See, God was actually leveling up the Israelites. He was about to take them into the promised land. The law is actually just a reflection of who God is, right? But the law, by keeping the law, the law was for them. It wasn't for God. God wasn't up there, again, with a a checkboard being like, oh man, I did so much for you in Egypt. Now I need you to kind of like show me that you love me back. That's not what the law is about. Keeping the commandments is not about proving that you love God. It's not about, you know, fulfilling something out of obligation because God bailed you out. Again, that's not, that's the kingdom of darkness. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not the kingdom of light. The law is a reflection of who God is, and it's a reflection of how God created this earth, and it's a reflection of how you're going to prosper and live in this earth. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy 6, actually a little bit earlier in Deuteronomy, God puts it this way, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go into and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. The purpose of the law, the purpose of doing right, is that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy eight eleven through 18, The purpose of the law is also to prevent us from getting a proud heart. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. Lest when you have eaten and are full and are, have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget your Lord, the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might have made have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. God gave the Israelites the law in the wilderness. Because if they didn't have the law by the time they got to the promised land, their heart would be too proud. They would have been destroyed by the blessing. The immensity of the blessing would have overtaken them, and they would have become proud and uh, abandoned the Lord and therefore lost everything. And ultimately, you know, uh, if you keep reading through the Bible, some of that happens anyway. But the third test the Israelites experienced in the wilderness is a test of our identity. Deuteronomy 8 verse 5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciples his son, the Lord your God disciples you. Know then in your heart, as a man disciples his son, the Lord your God disciples you. We have to know, we have to, to learn in the wilderness that we're not slaves, we're not subjects, but we're sons, we're children, and that God is our Father. In fact, 
if you keep reading in Deuteronomy, we have to know that before we can receive our inheritance, before we can walk into the promised land, we have to know that we are God's inheritance. Before we go into our inheritance, we must realize that we are God's inheritance, that we were bought for a price, as the New Testament says. Let me read for you from Deuteronomy 6. Oh, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 4.20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Deuteronomy 7.6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And later in Psalms, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. See, God has to change our minds from that slave mentality, from that functional mentality to a relational mentality. He has to change the way that we look at him and the way that we interact with authority and the way that we interact with power from a slavery mindset that revolves around function, what I can do for you, to a relational concept as a loving father. Because the heart of a father is to give us everything. The heart of the father is to give us all that he has. But he doesn't want to give it to us prematurely. Again, he doesn't want to give us any kind of blessing that's going to destroy us. So, like I mentioned earlier tonight, what I'm trying to get at is, what is... What are you between? Where are you in your spiritual walk? The purpose of learning humbling and the purpose of learning testing for the Israelites, again, God was doing something those 40 years in the wilderness. He was doing something good. He wasn't trying to break them. He wasn't trying to beat them into submission. He was trying to take Egypt out of them now that they were out of Egypt. And my question to you, the reason why I wanted you to write um, the things that I asked you to write earlier, and now that you've taken notes in between, is what is God speaking to you? The purpose of the humility and testing is because God desires to pour out immense blessing. He desires to pour out immense blessing. If I can find it. Deuteronomy 8, if you keep reading in Deuteronomy 8, this is verses 7 through 10. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing into the hills and valley and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
But the key, the key to walking through the wilderness successfully, the key is knowing where you came from and knowing where you're going. That's the key. It makes the lessons of humility, it makes the lessons of, and the the test easier when you know where the Lord has taken you from and you know where he's taking you to. See, the, the deliverance from Egypt, your breakthrough, that's your deposit. That's your guarantee. That's God using his mighty hand to demonstrate his power on your behalf. And the promise is the hope. It's your strength to, to, to continue to keep going. And it's the goodness, the obvious goodness in Egypt, or the deliverance from Egypt and the promised land that gives us the stomach, that gives us the ability to deal with the lessons that he's trying to teach us now. It's the goodness that he's shown us in the past and the goodness that he has promised us in the future that gives us the ability to let his Holy Spirit work in us now, to give us the character to give us the wisdom, to give us the knowledge that we need to inherit the promises, to receive them, not just demand them like Moses tried, but for it to be right. I'll tell you, as I was preparing this message, it's something that has resonated with me for a long time. Whenever, um, I'm going to share briefly uh, a little bit about my story. When I came to New Philly in 2010, I was a very broken individual. I was uh, struggling with bondages, deep bondage to sin and lust. I was struggling with who I was. I was struggling with a, a broken personality, uh, broken confidence, and honestly, broken hope. I was pretty hopeless. A lot of different things. I'd, I'd gone through a failed um, engagement. I had suffered all kinds of um, disappointment in my academic and professional career. Uh, And I wandered into this place uh, a pretty jaded, unhappy, and cynical person. But miraculously, and I can really honestly say it was a miracle, God changed all of that in the year of 2010. And in a span of only a couple of months, I found myself being a new creation, and I didn't even know what to do with myself. Like, I was in disbelief that I could have this much joy. I, was in, I kept waiting for it to fade, even. I was in disbelief that I could have that much freedom. Like, old sin habits that I thought I would never break, that I thought I would have to live with secretly for the rest of my life, were broken in one day. And I would, I, the, the subsequent weeks, I was just like, what's going on? What happened? I've tried for 12 years to do this, and it hasn't worked. And, and when, I, when I realized that, my first inclination was like, I want to, you know, I just want to jump into my destiny now. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for setting me th- free. Thank you so much for giving me a new life. Thank you so much for restoring my hope. Thank you so much for restoring my joy. Thank, thank you so much for restoring my vision. That I can dream again. That I can do things again. But you know what happened? Even though I, had, I changed on the inside, the things around me didn't change at all. I was still in the same job, 
teaching English in Korea. I was still, you know, making the same amount of money, doing the same thing, um, hanging out with the same people. It was... (laughs) It's a good thing. It's a good thing. My point is, I found myself then feeling like, well, what's the next thing? What happens next? I thought... I thought you were ready to go. I thought we were ready to move. I'm ready to move. Are you ready to move, God? I'm ready to go. But that didn't exactly happen. And it took me a while, I'll confess. It took me quite a while to realize that God was doing something much deeper than just polishing up issues in my life. That he was doing a deep heart work in me that was giving me the character, that was giving me the faith, that was giving me the assurance that when the things that I've dreamt of do come to pass, they won't crush me. They won't overcome me. They won't even test me. Because I've been tested. I've been refined. I've been prepared. Bow your heads with me. So my question for you tonight is still the same. Where are you in your journey? And maybe more importantly, what has your attitude been towards your stage in your journey? The good thing about all of the Israelites' failures is that we can learn from them. We don't have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. We don't have to waste time. And and listen to me very carefully. Spending time in the wilderness is not a waste. It's in the wilderness that you learn to be happy and content with exactly what you have. So many times I've cried out to the Lord, God, change this, change that. God, where are your promises? Where is your goodness? What is going on? Don't you hear my prayers? And the Lord has spoken to me very softly and he said, Todd, you will never be happy until you learn to be happy now. You will never be content until you learn to be content now. You will never feel satisfied until you're satisfied by me alone. And that's what you learn in the wilderness. You learn that as great and majestic as the promised land may, be, may seem, it's just icing on the cake. encourage you, let's just spend a little bit of time praying and asking the Lord to change our perspective on where we are, to change our perspective on, to change our attitude. Yeah, let's just pray together now.